Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We're proud to say that today's episode is brought to you by JustWorks. JustWorks helps businesses take care of their benefits, healthcare, payroll, and HR. It's super simple and powerful. We use it and we love it. And this podcast really is way more than just Jerry. So we wanted to take this opportunity to introduce you to more of our team and hear their experience in using JustWorks. I'm Allie Schultz, and I am the COO of Reboot. JustWorks makes my life insanely easy. It's every HR solution I have ever wanted in one place, including my benefits. And I don't have to think about HR things at all. And how does your experience with JustWorks compare to other providers that you may have used in the past? I've tried two of the largest HR solutions in the market. And um, the time that it has taken out of my life to use both of those programs is maddening to me. Um, back then, um, which was only just a couple of years ago, I remember thinking to myself, this really doesn't need to be as complicated as it is. And I was hoping that someone would create what JustWorks has created. I feel like it is going to give life and uh, a newfound sense of joy and freedom to HR professionals around the globe. Well, you hear how much Allie loves JustWorks. And a happy alley is a happy reboot. If you're ready to grow your business and not your busy work, head over to reboot.io slash JustWorks. You'll find out more about how we use JustWorks and how it could work for you. That's reboot.io slash JustWorks. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Leo Tolstoy. It sounds so obvious, perhaps even tongue-in-cheek, but it also seems to be forgotten enough that it needs to be said aloud again. Investors are human too. They, like the entrepreneurs they back, can ride the roller coaster of emotions that often come with starting a company. The anxieties, the fears, the excitement, the temptation to merge sense of self with success or failure. What challenges and problems can these emotions create? What tensions can arise between entrepreneurs and investors? And what's the opportunity for entrepreneurs and investors in recognizing and addressing them? We're very excited to have only our second investor on the podcast, the wonderful Bijan Sabet. Bijan is a partner at Spark Capital, a Boston-based VC firm that has backed 108 companies, including ones we all use and love, such as Twitter, Trello, and Tumblr. In this discussion, Bijan and Jerry explore some of the tensions that often arise between investors and entrepreneurs, the emotional perspective of the investor, and the importance of purpose in artistry. As a bonus, it includes Jerry reading a blessing at the end, so stick around for that. For full links, notes, quotes, and more, head on over to reboot.io slash podcast. Now, enjoy their conversation. Hey, Bijan. It's good to see you again. It's been a long time. Hey, great to see you. Hi, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for coming on uh, uh, the podcast now. Um, as I was saying before we started recording, 
You're actually only the second investor I've had on, so uh, uh, it's it's actually kind of fun. And um, as a former investor and as someone we've been friends for a while, it's um, it's been I, I've been interested in really exploring more of that relationship between investors and entrepreneurs. And um, I really appreciate your coming on uh, to spend some time talking about that and to really uh, talk about perhaps some of the areas where you've seen some problems mm-hmm. and some of the areas where you've seen where it works well. But before I, I jump in on that, I, I just wonder what your reaction would be to this notion that the tension that can exist between investors and entrepreneurs is, is really a problem. Mm-hmm. Am I seeing mm-hmm. that correctly? Yeah. I mean, it certainly exists for sure. Um, you know, it's it's funny. This week, this very week, is our tenth year um, anniversary as as a venture capital firm at Spark. You oh, know, the, congratulations! This, tomorrow, actually, uh, the fifteenth is our ten year. So, it, it's a moment uh, for me to kind of reflect on a whole bunch of experiences and all that. And and yeah, the tension, you know, can be real. And and sometimes there it's even there even before this relationship starts. You know, mm. like there's this, you know, there's this. Uh, thing in the blogosphere or on, on other things where it's like, Hey, you know, be weary of the VC or, or you just kind of have this dynamic that is sometimes set up in a, in a, in a funky way. So, so even before the relationship starts to unfold, uh, in, in what I'm hearing you say is that there's, there's an almost fear that steps into that. Is, am I naming that correctly? I, I think so. I mean, you have, and, and obviously there's fear on both sides, but the, the, you know, there are some examples where these relationships start with an open mind and, and a positive, you know, um, disposition, I guess, or a frame of mind. But like, there's somewhere you can kind of feel this, you know, guarded, uh, uh, this guarded world where it's like, Hey, I'm raising capital. I'm going to wrap this up in the next 10 days. And, um, you know, we're having our meetings this week and we're accepting term sheets next week. And you just feel this like wall where, um, you know, it's a little bit of fear, concern, you know, all this stuff. And, and it, it, it just creates a, a very tough dynamic to break through. And, you know, at least from my standpoint, it, it creates, it, it's very hard to, to engage that way. You know, I, I, as you know, like these are very long-term relationships and, and if it starts that way, like how's it going to last? You know? Yeah. 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 What do you think? What do you think the root of that is? Where does that come from? You know, I think that in all of these things that there, there are some, there are some kernels of, 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 of truth to this stuff. I mean, there are plenty of examples of relationships, business relationships, investment experiences that, that didn't go well. And so people try to learn from those lessons and pass them on. Uh, but I think as they get cherry picked these lessons and as they get kind of reassembled, um, you know, some of the context is lost, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, the, the lesson can be like, Hey, you got to focus on your business. Don't waste time with investors. You know, there's some, you know, merit to that and to be thoughtful about it and, and to be, you know, mindful of your time. But then, you know, taken to its extreme, you can get a version of that. That's, that's not awesome, mm. you know? So mm. I, I think probably a lot of this is based on, there's like a lot of good lessons and then it, it kind of just gets kind of messed up along the way. Mm. And uh, 
you know, what have you learned now? I mean, I guess 10 years and, and Spark is your first venture capital firm. Is that yes. right? Yes, yes. I really enjoyed your chat with Fred where, you know, you had all these different experiences over different, you know, mm. different history. Um, yeah, but for me, this is, this is, this is it. This is all I've known. Mm. So, so looking back over those last 10, 10 years and, you know, we didn't plan for this to be a moment of reflection, but great. Fantastic. So looking back over those last 10 years, what are some things that you might have done to contribute to some of that fear in that yeah. relationship? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, the beginning, actually, Fred told me this early on. Um, I met Fred before, Fred Wilson, before there was a Spark Capital. We, we had a mutual friend, uh, Steve Kane, who introduced sure. me to Fred when, he, when Fred and- was running. And and let's be fair. Right. I introduced Steve to Fred. That's so. right. There's a real connection here. And 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 Fred, I met. He was in Boston raising money for his first USV fund. And and before he had that fund organized, I, I met him. And anyway, we stayed in touch. But but after I became a, a venture capitalist, and we had our fund up and running. I remember he said something to me in passing about like, you know, one of the worst things is a is a is a VC who had operating experience, who has no board seats. And no venture experience like that. That was a lethal combination. Some version of that I'm probably getting the exact quote wrong, but but basically he was talking about me. You know, <laughs> you know maybe intentionally or unintentionally, but you know, a, 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 an investor with no other you know board responsibilities, loads of of time at at his or her disposal, but yet has a track record as a, a, a operating experience like that creates a scenario that can be very tough for investors, new investors, where you suddenly want to add value. You care about these investments. You care about your firm. You care about all these different, all these different voices are coming at you. And, and, you know, I'm sure, I know I've learned a lot over the last 10 years, but in the beginning, I'm sure I I was just like, you know, much more kind of hasty about things than, than I, I hopefully am today. So was there something about having been an operator that that made you more hasty? You know, I think the the, the natural thing, at least my own experience and that I've seen is that you um, it's a very, you know, different job. And so when you're no longer, you know, have an operating role in these companies, but you kind of feel this closeness to the company Mm. that, you know, it's like, hey, there's this thing not working over here. I know how to fix that thing. And, um, and that's, that can be a really tough situation because then you've gone from, uh, you know, a partner to, you know, an unwanted guest in the house. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm recalling a similar experience I had when I was first became a VC. It was probably my first year with Fred at Flatiron. And I had made, um, one of our first investments was an investment I made in a company called Mainspring. And uh, the co-investors there, the lead co-investors were Greylock, uh, Bill Kaiser from Greylock and Paul Mater from Highland. Two pros, gentlemen, thoughtful people who taught me so much about being a good investor. And I remember I came out of an operating background. I had an editorial background. And our first business model at Mainspring was... Uh, basically an information service in the IT space. And I made the mistake, a really rookie mistake, of saying, I'm going to help, and I'm using that term loosely, um, by jumping in. And I'll go up there one day a week, and I'll be the sort of quasi-editorial person there. And it's so great, and I'll do this 
doing this. And and uh, John Connolly, who's an incredibly effective and, and, and thoughtful CEO and someone I learned a lot from as well, welcomed that. He welcomed the additional thoughts. I mean, I, di- I didn't feel the unwelcome guest, but maybe I wasn't always as conscious of the feeling. But I remember Bill Kaiser pulling me aside at the end of a board meeting one time, and he said to me, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, you actually have to choose. Are you going to be an operator or are you going to be an investor? You can be a really good operator, but as long as you hold that chair, as long as you take that role, you're actually preventing the company from filling that role. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a shock. Mm-hmm. And I was really grateful for that lesson because I could see how if, if I had let my ego go forward, because really what, for me, what I was going through was, this venture business, this is scary, and I don't really know what I'm doing. Shh, don't tell anybody. Yeah. But this other thing, this operating role, that I know stone cold. Right. So rather than actually thinking about what's in the best interest of the company, I was trying to manage and massage my own fears mm-hmm. by getting all involved and thinking well about myself by telling myself that I was helping. Yeah. Does, it, does this resonate at all? Oh, yeah. I, I, it's such a great point. I mean, if, if I were to com, uh, contrast Fred's you know, comment about the worst thing is an idle former operating invest, you know, now turned investor, I, my, my worst nightmare is a VC on the board with me that has a, 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 a situation where the rest of their portfolio is on fire. And this is the shiny company because then you, you are really in a, in, a, in, a, in a pickle where you can feel that like unnatural angst and pressure being put onto this company for reasons that have nothing to do with the company, mm. but you see it. And, and, you know, VCs are, are humans and they, you know, they get stressed and nervous like anybody else. And when you're, the rest of your portfolio is on fire and you have this one great company, then all of a sudden you have this unnatural expectations on this company. And, and, uh, you so know, it's almost that, like their whole reputation as an investor, if not actually the right. return on investment on the fund. Right, and sometimes those on. are completely intertwined. <laughs> right, <laughs> and so then there's this intense focus on this company, right. and you said you've seen that, and and I want to ask you to name names, of course, but what 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 happens in the boardroom when that when that kind of or what happens in that dialogue when when that kind of pressure is involved? What happens for the for the CEO for the entrepreneur? Well, you know, it's it's a very tough situation because all of a sudden the patience level in these, you know, in the boardroom gets very thin. The view, fuse gets very short. I mean, look, the, these startups, um, very few. I mean, you know, we've backed 108 companies in 10 years, and you know, I'm very proud of our our track record. But like, you know, most don't work out as you had hoped, and. Um, and the ones that do work out require a lot of time and patience. And um, and when the patience is gone, you know, it, it creates a very, very uh, problematic situation. So that that's the thing I, I see in this scenario where a VC is on the board, that company is doing, you know, well or reasonably well, given all the challenges in front of them. But yet they have all this, you know, angst put on them because of, of, of what the investor, you know, the baggage that comes along. And um and that that's very hard. I mean, I, I don't have a quick little one-liner on how to deal with that, but I, I do. You know, I've seen it, and uh, 
And I think when that dynamic gets all messed up, it, it just every, everything gets harder. Yeah. And I, 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 I relate to that. I both remember it when I sat on so many boards, but also really working as a coach now with, with entrepreneurs. And oftentimes they're surprised when I say something that you just said, which is that, well, remember, the investor is human. Mm-hmm. And what, they, what I mean by that is, of course, everybody knows they're human, but, but what is surprising is they don't necessarily realize, the entrepreneur doesn't necessarily realize that the investor is just as subject to anxiety as they are. Right. And, that, and that they, too, have investors. They, too, have expectations. And sometimes it's, I think it's easy to forget that because the power dynamic that exists creates a license in effect to be aggressive. Right, right. I think that's right. That's a great point. And, and I think the other, you know, I think the, um, the part that becomes um, non-obvious potentially to people that haven't been in this role, and, and look, VCs, like there's a lot of very nice things about it, the life of venture capitalists, but, but I think it's, there's a hard way of, or I don't say unfair, but there's this way of looking at a VC and like, they've got a portfolio if this company doesn't work out, they got it more. And, and so you kind of, you know, maybe not appreciate that anxiety that they have because, um, you know, that portfolio that the fund has is not as separate and distinct, let's say from that individual who maybe, you know, only has a few investments and, and they feel like their ego and their reputation is intertwined with this success of this outcome. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. I, I think it can easily be, Chucked up there, like ah, oh, the VC. You know, why do they have to be nervous? They got a bunch of other companies. You know, and um, and that's that's not how uh, real humans interact with these things. Well, you know, I think I think you 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 hit on hit upon another important point, which I often experience in working with with clients. Um, you know, we 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 spend a lot of time working with clients in in talking about the emotional roller coaster that they often ride, where the highs are abnormally high and the lows are abnormally low. And I often attribute it to this phenomena of merging a sense of self-worth with the success of the enterprise. And you know I'm a Buddhist, and one of the things we always sort of seek is a kind of equanimity where we are separate from the action, right? Where our, where our sense of purpose, our sense of being is separated from that. And, and listening to you describe it, it feels evocative of the same phenomena, which is, you know... And, and, and this is hard because, because the perception of VCs is that they have so much money or that they have so much power that they're, that they're not necessarily, um, they don't necessarily warrant sympathy or empathy. And yet they're just as subject to the vicissitudes of marrying their sense of self-esteem and self-worth to achievement of some sort of goal. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite uh, quotes comes from William James, and, and I'll paraphrase it now, and, and what he said was, we're not annihilated by failure. We're only annihilated when we merge a sense of self-esteem and self-worth with the attainment of the goal and then fail to achieve the goal. <laughs> right? It's, it's not failure itself. It's not the loss in the portfolio. Mm-hmm. It's not the loss of this particular company or a, a bad investment or an investment gone bad. It's when my whole sense of my own being is tied to that achievement. Mm-hmm. 
Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So you 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 resonate with that? Is that? I do. I, I I've I've experienced it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand with others. It's uh, it's 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 a real um, it's a real challenge. And and I don't know if this has always been the case. So you know, as a relative newcomer to this field, ten years, you know, we we know plenty of people who've practiced this uh, this work for longer. Um, but in today's world where everything is public and talked about and discussed and ranked and so much public theater around, you know, VCs and this whole business we're in, I feel like that constant shining a light on, you know, people's perform work performance. I could, I know why it easily gets caught into the personal, uh, sense of worth, you know, when, when the two get intertwined in a, in a destructive way, um, because all of a sudden it's like the highs are incredibly high and the low is incredibly low. And, mm. uh, you know, if, if you, if you aren't able to be mindful about this, you, you can get lost. You can really get turned around. So, um, you know, without going in, into any specifics or giving you the latitude to, 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 to talk about that, um, you know, I think one of, one of the challenges is that when you have a high profile portfolio company, that is really examined and explored and investigated by a media that, quite frankly, is kind of purient in its fixation on the inner workings mm-hmm. of what one person I know calls every single shit show <laughs> called an entrepreneurial startup. <laughs> right, right? Right, right. That there's this that that there's this exacerbating effect of like, oh. You come out of a board meeting and you find out that the contents of that board meeting are now in TechCrunch. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And, and you know, you're trying to experience that. I imagine you've had your own experiences with that. I have, I have, and you know, I, I got to tell you, I think there's some areas that I'm very happy that I've, I feel like I've, I've gained a healthier perspective on all of this things that we're talking about, and in, in in terms of patience and perspective and you know, kind of not treating each um, particular startup that I work with as its own unique thing. I mean, there's a lot of examples there where I've seen people try to replicate what works in one company or another, and it doesn't work that way. But but the one thing that I, I still struggle with is like, you know, having a, a, a uh, thick skin consistently, you know, like about some of these things. I mean, like, it you know, when you're working with a high profile company or set of companies and um, and, you know, people turn on you as, as, as it often, you know, can be the case. I mean, look at, look at Dick Costello. I mean, he went from hero. I mean, when he took the company public, like literally the press was saying this was the anti Facebook IPO. It was this masterful, you know, thing he did. He built a business model and nothing. He took the company public in a way that allowed public investors to get appreciation on the value. And it was masterful, master, masterful. Three quarters later, he, he you know, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't find one piece of good news about him would like, you know, it's just, it's just really intense. And and I know Dick and I know he, it, it probably in fact, it, it hit him really hard and you try to develop a thick skin about these things and keep a healthy perspective. But I'll tell you when, when they go after you, like it's uh it takes a special person to be able to withstand those blows. It's, it, it's enormously difficult. And, and yeah. I remember uh, just thinking about Dick, I've only met him a few times and, and, thoroughly enjoyed him each time. And 
this is not a this is not even a dialogue about his performance, but it's really about the phenomena of 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 not really. Um, uh, I'm, I'm I'm a former reporter, so sometimes I can be hard on my journalist friends. I will say this again about myself. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed by the way I wrote as a journalist in my mm. 20s because I thought I actually understood business and I would opine and I would say things that had no basis in reality mm. because that's, that's the milieu, that's the expectation. Mm. Um, and so I'm empathetic to the challenge that they have and yet, sometimes I do wish that people would, you know, use that old adage and walk a mile in someone's shoes mm -hmm. before they're really willing to criticize. Yeah. I mean, uh, what is it truly like to sit on the board of directors of a publicly traded company? Mm -hmm. What is it truly like, to, especially if, if you're not a sociopath? And right, I mean, and there are sociopaths in the world. There's no question about that, right? There are people who are sort of disconnected from values and morals and things like yeah, that. Yeah. But in, as I've gotten older, yeah. I've come to understand that there are actually far fewer sociopaths in the world than I used to think. So maybe I've become a little wiser, right? And, and there are so many people who, who are just subject to this you know, to quote Shakespeare, to those slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Mm -hmm. It's just one day you're a hero, the next day you're a goat. And, yeah. and the yeah. fact of the matter is you're never really quite the hero right. and you're never really quite the goat. Right, right. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah, I, I saw David Karp go through. You know, we backed David Karp when he was 19 years old. David Karp from Tumblr. From Tumblr. And, you know, he was, you know, 19. publicly. 19. 19. You know, yeah. Right. right. And, um, you know, he publicly, you know, they're saying he's a god or a goat on any given day. And he's 20, 21, 22. Dealing, I mean, can you imagine trying to deal with this? I I, um, I give him so much credit for the strength that he has to, like, have a vision, build a company, you know, run the company and um, and then, you know, manage it. And with all of this, you know, going on, you know, with with um, all sorts of critics and and. Um, you know, it just takes a tremendous amount of, of personal strength and character. And, you know, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's easy to overlook just how, how, uh, strong these people are. I, I know I've, I've, I haven't, you know, lived up to my own expectations in, in those areas and, uh, it's, it can be really tough. I, I, I just want to call attention to something. The fact that you're sitting here saying these things conveys a kind of empathetic understanding that to me speaks to the carefulness with which you hold your authority and hold your responsibility. You know, um, yeah, because a lot of those 19-year-old kids, right. right, they end up on my couch or they end up on the couch of another coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And right. I will tell you, from, you know, their hearts hurt. Right, right. Right? And so right. the, the, the thick skin may be there, but, right. but on the inside, too, right. they're really feeling it. Right, right. They're really feeling it. Yeah. In fact, I've emailed you twice in the last 
two weeks, I think about two founders. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm a big advocate for, for founders getting, uh, getting, you know, a personal coach and, and somebody that really is, is connecting with them in a, in a way that's, that's most helpful. I mean, it's, it's just so important. And, and I, and it feels like, I, I don't know if it's just where I'm at right now or, or, or whatever, probably you, you, I'm sure you see it. It's just, I feel like there's a, um, acceptance of this level of, 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 of assistance that, you know, maybe wasn't the case 10 years ago or something like it that. It definitely feels that way. It, um, and I think that there's been a consistency from the elders in the community, myself, you, Brad Feld, Fred, um, many of the people who've come on the podcast say this, you know, when, when, when there's a kind of leadership, when people are willing to talk about the challenges that they go through, yeah. there's a beautiful byproduct, which is, oh, wait, it normalizes the fact that this is really mm. d- difficult. And then it makes it possible for people to then share amongst themselves. Because, you know, I think it's great, the amount of interest it's in coaching right now, I think it's, it's fantastic. And there aren't enough coaches in the world. <laughs> That's right. And so one of the things that, and we're doing this at Reboot, where we have these facilitated peer support groups, but Spark can do it within its own portfolio. You know, people do this in, in a variety of ways. God damn it, talk to each other. Right. right? Right? Actually, you know, if David Karp could speak to Dick Costolo, or if Dick Costolo could speak to David Karp, to name two of the folks that yeah, he yeah, just yeah. named, and just go, dang, that was hard. Yep, that was hard. That's hard. Okay, great. Then we move forward. Right. To break down this sense of isolation that exacerbates the problem for everybody. Right. Right. You know, it, 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 one of the wishes I have, and I've been talking to Brad about doing this, Brad Feld about doing this, is to actually do a boot camp for investors. Mm. Um, not so much in the same kind of vein of training, but to really dive deep into the ways in which, um, you know, what lessons we've learned and, and how can we serve better? Because I really believe in that servant model. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when you take a board seat and you hold that seat, you're in service. Right. Oftentimes to the community that's built up around the product. That's right. As much as it is around the company, you're in right. service to. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that perspective is so important. And that that's a... a, a, a a not intuitive thing initially, you know, you, you feel like, you know, who am I supposed to like, what's the most important thing I should be doing right now as an investor, as a board member and, and thinking through the community as part of the, of the, of the answer to that question is, is really impactful because, you know, sometimes you just get caught into this, like, you know, founder versus VC thing, or, you know, is this the right CEO for the, you know, position, but like you kind of, you got, you got to kind of, there's, there's many, many more factors involved in these things. And I, I think, you know, thinking about the community as, as an integral part of that decision-making is, is just so important. I think that, that, um, when we hold a sense of service, it kind of breaks down the ego attachment that's really behind marrying my self-esteem to the success of the investment. Right. So so we, we, we've discussed like the, the problem that occurs 
when my self-esteem and self-perception is tied to the success of this one company or this multiple investments or something like that, the, the, the problems that grow from that are enormous. And so what's the antidote to that? Well, the antidote in some ways, I think, is to really focus on the larger purpose, the larger mission. And we often, when I talk, I don't often hear about investors thinking about, say, larger purpose. Mm -hmm. What's the goal here, right? right? Beyond return on investment. Um, but really, you know, like I think of our mutual friend Brad and, and his commitment to startup communities right. and his commitment to the notion of, of entrepreneurialism as a way for economic development, which means personal achievement, right? It means making the difference in the lives of individuals. There's this larger issue, which is what is, since we're all members of the ecosystem, my little company reboot as well, we're all members of the ecosystem. What's our, what's our, obligation and our right. responsibility to supporting this because there's something very precious around uh, these kinds of companies that we're building. You know, Twitter, Twitter was important. Ask the people in Iran if Twitter yeah, yeah. was important yeah, yeah. or Tunisia, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? right? Ask, ask those people right. uh, um, and, and and that's power. Ask the people if Facebook is important. Right, right. Yeah, look, I, I I totally agree. I mean, you talk, you know, when Wall Street talks about, you know, monthly active users and ad impressions and all this other stuff, like like what gets lost is when people like Dick talk about, you know, with with utmost sincerity, like that he wants Twitter to be the the free speech wing of the free speech party. Like like he means that not as a cool little soundbite, but like that he really believes in like power to the user and like fighting back against governments, including our own, that are asking for unwarranted information and and things like that. That has nothing to do with um, you know quote unquote shareholder value or hitting your quarter. Um, but, you know, when you think about, like, uh, its importance and significance, th those things, you know, you, you really have to, you know, cherish and, and celebrate. Um, so, so when you think about that, and, you know, from my lips to God's ears, you're not retiring any time soon, <laughs> right? And you got another few years, maybe five, maybe 10, maybe 20, whatever you've got as yeah. an investor. What do you want to take forward? Take forward in, in terms of uh, bring bring to this community yeah. or, or yeah. bring yeah. yeah. I mean, you spent the first few years learning how to do this job. Yeah, yeah. And you did pretty well, I might mm -hmm. add. <laughs> um, and so here you are. Right, right. Well, yeah. No, no matter what, I, I don't feel like my service to entrepreneurs is gonna going to fade away. I I, I hope to be doing this for in it's whatever shape or form it it happens to, for a very long time. Um, and for me, you know, one one thing I've been thinking about lately is like, you know, if you if you if you think about the founder and the entrepreneur as an artist, like literally as an artist, then a bunch of things become like almost kind of clear, which is like, you know, their importance to the community is one thing. Their um the idea that like like this is my my latest thing that I jump up and down about, like, you know, when you see um one company excel at a certain way, there's this tendency to be like, hey, this is how they did it. We should do it this way too for the next company. And 
you know, where, hey, this person, this company brought in a world-class COO, so we should do that here. Or, you know, this person, you know, upgraded the CEO, the founder to a, to a operating executive or something, you know. And when you start having that mindset, then, then you forget that these companies are started by artists. So if, if you really think about the, the founder as an artist, the idea of just making these changes or exporting quote unquote best practices suddenly become less important because you, you can't, you can't just do an organ transplant with an artist. Like it's, it, they're an artist, you know, like you, you know, so I, I kind of feel like, um, if we can kind of remind each other that what we're dealing, we're not, we're not dealing with, um, just computer science for the sake of computer science. Like we, we are, we're dealing with, you know, people that are creating things out of whole cloth and, and then if that's the mental model, then I, I just feel like like our approach to how we interact with each other, how we how we conduct ourselves, how we you know you know gain a, a different level of empathy. I, I just feel like a lot of understanding starts to start can take has a, has a chance to breathe a bit. Do you know what I mean? I don't know I, if this makes any sense, it, but it's something I, I, been, I, I think it makes a ton of sense. And and I have to say, you know, as a lot of the listeners know. I'm recording this over Skype, so I get to see your face as we're talking this, even though we're stripping out the audio. And I'm looking over your shoulder at two beautiful photographs, which, <laughs> and I know you, and I know you probably took those photos. Is that right? Uh, these two, no, no. Actually, uh, I don't hang my own because I, I, I uh, just like to celebrate other people's work. But yeah, but, yeah. But, but you have an appreciation for photography as yes. art, mm. as an expression. And, and I know there's a hashtag you often use on Twitter, which is something around film, right? Yeah. Believe in film. Yeah. Believe in film. Yeah. And there's a belief that you have in that. Yeah. And that, that part of you. And so I like, I wish everybody could see your face right now. Cause you just lit up. There's an artist in you, my friend. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I don't know about that, but I, 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 uh, I have a lot of respect for, for these, these artists that, that, uh, that we get to work with. Right. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, it might be safe to say that as you go forward, respecting that artist is something that that perhaps you're stepping into even more so now. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. It it becomes much more. It's it's a has bigger importance than than you know everything. Every everything else kind of just kind of finds its place when you kind of think about that in those terms, you know, it's, it's not about, you know, just about, you know, shareholder value. I mean, you know, like I, I think you get lost in these things. I, the other thing that I think gets lost is like, and, and I realize I, I don't want to be mindful of the time, but like, uh, have you ever heard people cite fiduciary responsibility as like a, an ax to do whatever they want? Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's yes. like, Hey, I have a fiduciary responsibility to treat you like shit or right. okay. <laughs> like, um, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I feel like this fiduciary is, is a way just to protect, you know, try to convince yourself of, of like that, you know, you're not connecting with the situation at hand. You're right. just wielding a weapon. And, right. Right. and I, I just feel like we, we have to somehow like, you know, remember what we're doing here. Like what, what, what is our job here? And, and the way you describe it as service I, I, is, you know, I've been stumbling around this a bit, but like, that's exactly the way that's the organizing principle. And then, and then things just, you know, I, I think find their place service, to the community service to the artist service to like that. That's what we're doing. You know, I, I think that's beautiful. And, and hearing you say that calms me because I've been thinking about reading something to you for a while now, and I wasn't sure because it's a little bit odd, but it's Jerry, and they're used to it. <laughs> and uh, and 
and so here it goes. This is this is um, there's an there's a Irish poet and former Catholic priest named John O'Donoghue, and lately I've been reading a, a number of his blessings. He collected a series of blessings. He passed away in 2008, and he read it, and he wrote a series of blessings in a book called "To Bless This Space Between Us," and. Lately, I've been reading for a leader to a number of clients and uh, the folks who came to our co-founder boot camp just a few weeks ago. But this is one I was actually thinking of reading to you as an investor. And this blessing is called For One Who Holds Power. For One Who Holds Power. May the gift of leadership awaken in you as a vocation. Keep you mindful of the providence that calls you to serve. As high over the mountains, the eagle spreads its wings. May your perspective be larger than the view from the foothills. When the way is flat and dull in times of gray endurance, may your imagination continue to evoke horizons. When thirst burns in times of drought, may you be blessed to find the wells. May you have the wisdom to read time clearly and know when the seed of change will flourish. In your heart, may there be a sanctuary for the stillness where clarity is born. May your work be infused with passion and creativity and have the wisdom to balance compassion and challenge. May your soul find the graciousness to rise above the fester of small, mediocrities. May your power never become a shell wherein your heart would silently atrophy. May you welcome your own vulnerability as the ground where healing and truth join. May integrity of soul be your first ideal, the source that will guide and bless your work. For one who holds power, Wow, that that's quite powerful. I, I hope you link to it in your show notes or your podcast we, notes. We, yeah. we, we will, we will. You know, uh, one of the things I like about this is that it speaks implicitly about the responsibility for one who holds power mm-hmm. to to lead from a soul, mm-hmm. and to you know, I was thinking about this when you were talking about you know entrepreneurs as artists. And allowing the passion and creativity to go mm-hmm. in the work. So that's great. That's my blessing for you, my friend. I will take it. Thank right. you. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this. It, it was it. It's been a blast, and it's always fun to see you and and talk with you. And thank you Same for here. coming on the on the show. Thank you so much. All right. See you soon. Be well. So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode, from links to books to quotes to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review 
letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together. How long to my soul?